Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Hollins here on another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got David Cruz Palmer with me today. Um, he started off as a broker and uh, eventually found his way into the industrial syndication realm. Um, I'll let him introduce himself and just tell us a little bit more about uh, your story, man. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I was a broker for about 15 years. I was with a company called Savills most recently and Cushman Wakefield before that. And I helped tenants, commercial tenants, find office space and industrial space and figure out uh, real estate plans so that they could, you know, do expansions. A lot of the companies that I worked with were tech companies. And um, a lot of them had to figure out some like pretty comprehensive uh, expansion plans and uh, figure out where are we going to put our employees, where are we going to, um, you know, put our products and evaluate the markets. And then kind of around the time COVID happened, I, I, uh, one of the dreams of being a commercial broker is uh, to own your own real estate one day. And uh, COVID sort of slowed everything down. And I, I had a moment and some time to think and figure out how to actually how to do that, go from the broker side to the principal side. Um, so since then, I've syndicated um, three properties. I've raised a little over $5 million in the last year and uh, looking to do a lot more. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. So I had ankle surgery this year. And <laughs> some people uh, it's COVID and for others it's ankle surgery. Yeah, I, I love basketball. Um, but basketball doesn't left me back. I've had ankle surgery and shoulder surgery so far. Um, but that was a blessing in disguise because, you know, it's bedridden for two months straight, you know, and, and being an engineer and um, liking real estate and liking people like I couldn't just sit there and be still. And so that that gave me time to really plan and network and and find the right people to to start my own real estate journey. It was it was good. Yeah, that was great. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that, I, I think that's amazing. I think, you know, we, we all find our thing and, and uh, you just got to kind of grab hold of it and, and uh run with it and see where it takes you. So, yes, sir. Um, so I know you talk about industrial and triple net leases. So what do you, what value do you, do you see in those and, and why are you gearing towards that direction? Yeah, great question. Um, so I, the, re the reason I chose industrial and tri triple net is a triple net's a lease structure um, that is common for industrial properties and retail properties. And what triple net is, is basically their expenses. So you can imagine if you own a, a, an industrial building, it's on some land, there's a building um, with some walls and a roof, and there's like a parking lot and a tenant comes in, you can imagine say 50, 60 years ago, um, you say, I own this building. And the tenant says, well, I want to come in. And you're like, what do you want to do there? And um, he's like, I want to make these things. You're like, okay, you can have the building. How much power are you going to use? Um, and they're like, I don't know. Like, okay, you pay for the power. Um, you're going to pay for the cleanup. You're going to pay for um, my insurance and your insurance, and you're going to pay for the taxes. And in exchange for all that, I'm going to give you a, a low rent because I don't want to have to think about it or deal with it because I don't know exactly what you're doing. I own the building and you're in there operating sort of like you own it. And so those are called pass-throughs, the tri triple net expenses. Um, so the CAMS, common area maintenance, um, taxes, and insurance. Uh, the reason I, 
I like those things for industrial for there's a re, there's a really um, great things to have a tenant pay for, especially during an inflationary economy, right? Because those are unpredictable expenses. Like you kind of know what the tax rate is in every market, but taxes can change. Um, the labor costs with, if you have a property manager that runs the building, that's part of the CAM cost. So you, labor gets more expensive and that's an uncontrollable expense. So you can pass that along to the tenant. Um, insurance, man, insurance is expensive, <laughs> but it's but it's necessary. And the tenant pays for that too. So it's kind of this like really well insulated um, asset class. So if you're investing in an office building or something else, you know there, there's a period of time when a lease starts in an office building. And then um, it goes on for five years, 10 years, whatever. And once that lease stops, then they, they reset what the expenses are. So that an office tenant has a higher rent because they're paying all of the tax insurance, property management, all that's included in their rent. So that's why traditionally office rents are higher is because all that stuff is kicked in. But the difference between office and, and triple net, usually office is a gross lease, which means it includes all that stuff, is that when the office lease ends, the it just hits zero again. So they can renew, the tenant can renew and stay. They get a new rent, which is normal for any asset class. Um, but the expenses also go back to zero and then they start to accrue over whatever the total cost was at the beginning of their lease. So you don't have any of that. Um, if you model that out, it, it's it's crazy how much, you know, you can compare side by side, like a seven cap, a, a building that's a seven cap for an industrial versus a 10 cap uh, for an office. And, and the seven cap will still cash flow better if it's a triple net industrial building than a 10 cap office because, because of, um, you reset the base here and uh, you just have to absorb these costs again once, once the lease renews. So for that reason, um, I, I'm a true believer, believer in industrial. Um, also separate from that, uh, there's a 3% vacancy rate for industrial space across the country. You can look at any market, Miami, you can look at LA, you know, some of the biggest, hottest industrial markets with port cities. You can go to a, a tertiary market and like off of, off of a highway major highway anywhere and there's like one to three percent vacancy rate show some love to dallas too dallas i i, I mean any i'm picking port port cities and coast cities yeah dallas too um seriously any any city has a shortage and you know that's that's a byproduct of so many things um one is manufacturing has been coming back to the u.s two is e-commerce has been hot for a while it's cooling off a little um one thing i like to think about is uh, you know Everyone pretends like Amazon is the canary in the coal mine, but it's it's not. It's it's actually Amazon, and they uh, they have <laughs> hundreds of millions of square feet of industrial space. They don't own it all; they lease most most of it. Um, they actually mo just moved into you know while they're while they're subleasing some of their spaces, and that hits the news a lot. I think it's forty one buildings that they're putting back on the market either for sublease or they're just not moving forward with. Um, most of that's because they. Uh, they don't need it. Their plans have changed. They've been going through what tech companies call hyper growth for a long time. And so they've got robots doing things that they assume humans are going to do. So when a company puts together a real estate space plan, they, you know, you want to be efficient and you want to create an iterable process. You create a process. You say, this is what we do. We get million square feet and we have, you know, space for 500 parking spots and we need some excess land and we need it to be 40 feet tall. Right. So that's what they do. And they're like, we're now we're going to chunk those out. So it's iterable and we can leverage a lot of vendors and get efficiencies through cost savings. 
Um, but that changes, right? Like robots change things. Um, they don't need as many employees. They don't, and because of that, they don't need as much parking. And so they kind of hit the brakes because they're growing a little too fast. But at the same time, they just moved into their largest facility ever about a month ago. Your doubt, do you like football? You're from Dallas. I love football. I think I'm that's a big a, Cowboys a guy. Okay, so here, here's, a, here's a little football. Um, 4.1 million square feet. That's the size of um, the, the newest facility that Amazon just opened. That's uh, 94 acres. Do you know how many football fields that is? Oh, it's I would 94 say... football fields. It's 94 okay. football fields. Isn't that crazy? Um, plus or minus, it's like a football field's around an acre. I don't know if it includes the end zones or not, but 94 football fields. Do you want to know what's crazier than that? It's 98 feet tall. Why is it so tall? Robots. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about stacking, so like normally with industrial, it's you're trying to stack things, right? It's a logistics company and they have all these pallets. And so the reason it's so tall is, could you imagine if you needed, I mean, I don't even know what it's, if you had to let vertically 98 feet is like a 10, it's a nine story building, right? That's um, massive. Yeah. yeah, could you imagine 94 football fields laid out nine times, <laughs> right? Uh, that's just in an inefficient way to, to, to move product, right? So if you stack it vertically, and then you can try, you know, you can move from one corner down to the other. Um, and so it's just so much more efficient when you've got these robotic systems that can go and grab things based on, you know, pre-programmed data. So um, it's always fun to talk about Amazon, but at the same time, you know, there's a 3% vacancy rate going on um, it, everywhere. There's deglobalization happening uh, and decoupling where China produces 20% of the world's um, goods, like, they produce 20% of the goods in the world. And they have been for a while. And so, you know, since after World War II, the U.S. is, the U.S., you know, World War II happened. And then the U.S. said, great, we have this amazing Navy. And we're going to patrol this, the world's seas and ports. We're going to make it so that interstate commerce can happen, make it real easy. And so, you know, that made it so that we could, companies could set up shop in other cheaper territories and other cities and other countries and find cheap labor so that we could, you know, grow the world's economy. So that happened and it's kind of, you know, at this point it's flattening out a little bit. It's not as cheap as it was in China anymore. It's not as cheap in India. Um, the fact that we, you know, back to COVID, we just had a COVID. And so, you know, China's COVID policy is no COVID, right? If there's any COVID, we're gonna shut down the country. And, um, you know, deglobalization just means like, at, you know, for a while we were hyper, globalizing we were sending out manufacturing and jobs and all of these things to all these other countries where we could leverage you know their resources their labor their land um, and with deglobalization it's it's raining it back in it's not you know it's not going to be extreme but it's happening and even even incremental is significant especially when you have a three percent vacancy rate for industrial space right prologis is the largest industrial landlord in the world they have you know, it's like over a billion square feet they're uh, they're called Amazon's landlord, right? Um, so who is that? They they've had Prologis. Oh, Prologis. Okay. Yeah, they're huge. Um, they they've uh, expanded. Uh, sorry, the rental rates have grown inside of their portfolio over twenty percent over the last few years, and they project for it to continue to grow. And I mean, they're on an acquisitions tear because they can't build fast enough, so they're just buying up their competition. And, and the reason is because they see so much yield for these 
the triple net leases for these industrial leases because there's so much vacancy and you know if there is increased demand for more industrial spaces in the Dallases of the world <laughs> and the Dallases and the LAs and, and the Atlantas and the Floridas right um, then uh, then they're just gonna have more demand and still less supply and so they can kind of say whatever rent they want almost every industrial tenant is a captive tenant um, and and you know normally the market's response to that is okay let's build more stuff but guess what what are interest rates today um, I think they're six percent I don't I don't know when this airs they could be ten percent we don't know right um, so it's just this really fascinating time to um, you know, so an ordinary investor can come in and invest in a syndication or buy an industrial building and actually see some of the benefits of this and so you know, that's industrial. Multifamily is great, too. I feel like some of those are the best asset classes out there right now. Self-storage, right? Um, not a lot of people are, are syndicating industrial product. It's mostly multifamily, self-storage, um, manufactured housing, things like that. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. It's really cool. So do you see, I guess right now your, your business plan is raising capital and you are purchasing industrial that's already been built. Or are you also in the development process as well? Yeah, cur currently, um, I'm mostly focused on buying cash flowing assets that, that are in place. It, it's more, it's just more efficient and more scalable. Um, and, you know, to the point of uh, interest rates being really high. Um, rents, it's possible to build and still get a high rent. But if you're comparing the, the built new space to, you know, a comparable rent across the street, it's going to have to be really high um, to absorb the risk of, you know, supply chain and labor and just things take longer. Um, so it's less predictable to do development right now. So I, I think there are a lot more efficiencies um, and I think um, a lot quicker returns for buying um, in place real estate. And so I actually set up a system for finding off market properties that I started doing that earlier this year. And um, that's worked really well. And I'm targeting Virginia is where I live in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. It's easy to get around and see those. Also Florida and, um, you know, mostly focused on the East Coast right now. So Virginia and Florida, looking at Ohio next, there's a lot of yield where you can get um, still really high quality publicly traded Fortune 500 tenants that need to start, sign these long-term leases. And the other thing is that the rent grows every year. It's, it's in the commercial lease. It says every single year for 10 years, your rent will increase by whatever is negotiated. Usually it's like two, three, four percent. I'm trying to get um, CPI, the, the greater of CPI or three percent for one of my properties right now, right? So if CPI is eight percent, then obviously um, I can at least try to make the argument that uh, that should be passed along to the, to the landlord and that that's fair, right? Because that CPI represents the cost of living. Yeah, I hope, I hope you can get that negotiated in. That would be we, great. But we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, so the, it was actually triple... much more common to do CPI leases about 10 years ago, but I, I feel like they're making a comeback. That's awesome. So the triple net lease, I mean, I, I'm very uneducated on that. Is that typically you mentioned 10 years or, or are they even longer, like 20, 30 year leases? 
Um, they're, they're not usually that long. A, a typical, so it depends on the, the type of tenant. Um, with industrial buildings and with triple net leases, you can get like a 100,000, 300,000 square foot building that has a high quality tenant. And that means a publicly traded company. And those usually don't want to, um, they don't want to leave. They invest in the infrastructure. And you got you to understand that when a company decides on having a facility, especially one that has shipping, receiving, and logistics, one change is hard because you build up all your relationships with all these suppliers. You hire employees. Um, you know, when a company looks at moving offices, they'll do a zip code analysis. Look at the zip code of every single one of their employees and they'll plot it out. Same there. Like, yeah, if you move 10 miles one way or 10 miles another way, um, you can you can make a, an educated guess on how many employees you're going to lose in a, lose in a time like this, man. No one wants to lose an employee. <laughs> Every employee <laughs> is valuable. Um, so yeah, it's, um, to, but to answer your question, usually it's between five and 15 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Set, That's set awesome. The normal number. And then, and so you would get an annual escalation on rent beyond that, pass through all the expenses. And then you can renew the lease usually around 12 to 18 months in advance. So that you know, um, you and you you line up your uh, your debt with that. That's awesome. And so, so I'm very familiar with you know the value add uh, multifamily. Um, what's kind of the business plan for buying industrial? Are you you're not really doing a lot of renovating? You know, you're you're getting a higher cap rate. Um, yeah. And when's when's the sale period? And yeah, what does that look like? It's a great question. Um, so. Right. So the cap rates for multifamily are low because there's so much value add, right? So you do the analysis and figure out, you know, based on the estimated cost of these repairs, we think we'll be able to move this from a class C to a class B, and then we'll get a higher rent, which will result in higher NOI and then make it rain. Right. And then uh, with, with industrial, it's not, it's not so different. Um, and it's not, it's not, I feel like underwriting a multifamily deal is, is a lot more complicated because of it has more variables. Um, the value, there's a couple of answers to industrial. So industrial on the upside or, or how to structure the, the upside. Um, there are companies, there are institutional investors that want to buy long-term safe assets, right? It's just part of your portfolio. So, you know, pension funds, um, insurance companies, companies that manage billions of dollars, um, Goldman Sachs, right? The companies that manage huge funds on behalf of their of their investors, they look at like they actually have three, four, five caps, um, which is the range of cap rate range that you'd see for multifamily. But the reason those cap rates are low is they're kind of like bonds, right? So if you bought an, a building that Amazon leased and they signed a fifteen year triple net lease with Amazon, probably gets one percent annual increases instead of three or CPI. Um, you're buying a really stable, safe investment. In fact, you can buy an Amazon bond or you could buy a building that Amazon leases and get um, similar or higher return, right? Like a four or 5% annual return that escalates every year a little bit. But, um, you know, it's interesting to think about if you were to buy a bond or if you were to buy the building, you actually get equity with the building. You don't just get the returns. And you get all the tax benefits from from doing real estate. True. 
Yeah, no, you did. Yeah, no, that's super helpful, man. And I just, I really appreciate this. Uh, I've learned so much and I know the, the listeners will as well. Um, we appreciate having you on, David, and I uh, look forward to next time. All right. Great. Thanks a lot. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.